looking in the mirror in the mornings? Every third day. Good morning, church. How are we this morning? Thank you, worship team, for ushering us into a wonderful time of worship. Thank you so much. We thank you for what God is doing, working through you. Awesome. Uh, kids can go to, I always forget this, kids can go to Kids Church. No, I, Jess is giving me a sign. Yes, thumbs up. Yep, kings, kids off to kings, Kids Church. And we'll also at the same time be, uh, you'll be waited upon for your offerings. And thank you for serving us this morning. Chat and this little guy. Who's this? Quiley. Thanks, mate. Hi, well done. Good job. Um, a couple of messages before, um, before Brad brings the word to us this morning. Um, I'll start with family camp is fast approaching. For those of you that don't know, family camp will be on the weekend of the 9th to the 11th of March. That's a Friday to Sunday, two nights, Friday night, Saturday night. And uh, if you haven't been, can I encourage you to come along? It is a fantastic time. Um, Joe and I, uh, I've got a hole in my shirt. So don't tell Joe. all right? She would be horrified that I'm wearing a shirt with a hole in it. So I'll just stand here like this. Off to Kmart, I think, after church today. It's my holy shirt. I'm set apart shirt. So Joe and I um, had come to our community church twice and uh, was just sort of... Um good morning. The um, good thing about heaven is that it's a very big place. And I've uh, asked God explicitly, put me in places where there's individuals I don't want to bump into. <laughs> so um, I'll, ha- ha- I'll, have my own little, I'll have my own little corner there. It's supposed to be a place of peace, right? Peace and rest. So um, there won't be any if some people that I know are hanging around my house too much, you know what I mean? I suppose another good thing about heaven is that there's no negative emotions up there. So um, we will all just get along anyway. We don't need church camps to help us get there. But, But family camps are good. Right, for those of you who weren't here last week, you're going to have to go and listen to the message um, online. For those of you who were, we'll just recap again anyway. Um, The question I asked last week was, and the whole series is this, what is the gospel? Yes, I'm pushing the arrow. No. working? I need to flick through the slides pretty quickly. So is it working now? Okay. So we asked the question. No, it's not going back. Yeah. That's back. How do you go back to the front page? What is the gospel? Marvelous. Here you go. I didn't have time. 
Okay, what is the gospel? We spoke about what the gospel is not, and I made a pretty controversial statement, which some of you may have been pondering over for the week. If you haven't heard the statement, it's going to make you probably wonder a bit right now. But I said this, I made this statement quite clear. The gospel is not that Jesus died for your sins. That is not the gospel. That is called the message or the plan of salvation, which we're going to speak a bit about today. I know that that does shake most of our evangelical understanding and theology, because that is pretty much where we have um, been taught. That's what we've been taught. We've been taught that um, we normally, normally when, when we present the, uh, anything to do with the Bible story, we breeze through uh, Genesis chapter 1, you know, God created. We quickly breeze through Genesis chapter 2 about man being placed in the garden and their purpose for being there. And then we quickly rush on to man fell. So, so that's pretty much where our story begins. The, the real crux of it is that man fell into sin. And we spoke last week about sin, um, what, it, what it is in a sense, just very vaguely, that, that the word disbelief and disobedience um, are pretty much the same word. If you look at the book of Hebrews, and he uses the word disbelief and disobedience as two interchanging words. It's the same word for both, both of those. Okay? So disbelief and disobedience are the same thing. Adam and Eve disbelieved, therefore they disobeyed. Then we've got this whole sort of parenthesis around Israel and the chaos that takes place um, and the, their inability to do what God asked them to do and, and the law coming and all. That's a, pretty much a parenthesis. I'm just speaking in generalization as to what we've understood the gospel. And then Jesus comes and he dies for your sins so that you can go to heaven. Now you need to make a decision for him. And that's pretty much where... Most of our reformed evangelical understanding of the gospel ends. And so most of the preaching and teaching is around that event called of the cross. Um, it predominantly seeks to get people to make a decision um, rather than getting people to become disciples. And I did speak about that not being the gospel, and that is one of the reasons why we don't have disciples. I spoke about um, people making a decision rather than the apostles who spoke about making disciples. We spoke about a salvation culture, which is what's been created in most of Western society today. And then when we go into countries like Africa and India and Asia, that is the gospel we preach. Is generally, it's a salvation culture, which is our emphasis is on personal sin management. It is focused on measuring a person's witness to an experience of personal salvation. And it tends to ask the question of who's in and who's out. Rather than a gospel culture, which is what we're trying to establish, which is a culture that focuses on creating disciples creating image bearers of the nature of Jesus and taking people beyond the cross. We then spoke about the four main categories that we're going to be touching on throughout this series. We spoke last week on the story of the Bible, which incorporates the story of Israel, which, which we spoke about it being Adam and Eve came. They were created by God to be, to be image bearers of God himself and to govern the world and to relate to each other and the world in a redemptive manner, bringing God's glory from the garden in Eden. And I did briefly drop in a, a, a little bomb there, which we can speak on some other time, was I believe, and many others do, is that the garden is actually now your heart. Your heart becomes the garden. And that you tend, Adam and Eve were to tend to that garden. And from that garden, which was a spiritual dimension, go out into Eden and into all of the world and govern over the world in a redemptive manner on God's behalf. Through disobedience slash disbelief and the fact that they were made in the image and likeness of God, they ate from a tree they were not supposed to. 
It wasn't an apple. We don't know what the tree was. But they did eat from a tree. And because of that, God had to expel them from that garden, from Eden, and from the garden, which means they had no more access into that spiritual dimension with God on a day-to-day basis. Okay, They had to tend to the soil And then God came and he chose a man called Abraham. Through Abraham, he chose a people called Israel. Israel, you know, went up and down through their their kings. uh, And then God sent Jesus. Now, if you look at at the story that, that Stephen presents just before he's about to be stoned to the Jewish Pharisees, um, in the temple, that's pretty much the story that he has proposed. And we, we tend to leave that story out of our presentation of the gospel. We go straight to the cross story. We, go straight, we, go, we quickly go to Genesis 3 and then quickly into you know, the cross. We then spoke about um, the story of Jesus. Did we speak about the story of Jesus last week? No. Okay, so what we're going to do today is we're going to speak about the story of Jesus and the plan of salvation. Okay, then next week we're going to speak about the method of persuasion. I want you to bring your Bibles on that day, next week, if you haven't already brought them, because we're going to read a very chunky portion of Scripture. We're going to go from text to text to text, showing you how the apostles presented the gospel. I'm going to use predominantly the book of, um, the book of Acts. We'll look at almost every instance that, that somebody stood up and presented a gospel. How are you all doing? Okay, the story of Jesus. Go listen to the message last week if you need to sort of get more of the meat of it. Because this series, as I mentioned last time, took me eight months to do when I was at Crossing Point. I'm doing it in three weeks now. So I don't, I don't have the, the time to go into the full depth of it. So I'm trying to present something and get to a point by next week, by the close of next week. Okay, the story of Jesus, this is a key element here. The story of Jesus brings the story of Israel to its resolution. So we, don't, we cannot understand, as I mentioned last week, we cannot understand the story of the Bible and the story of Israel if we don't understand, uh, sorry, we, we, we can't understand the story of Jesus if we don't understand the story of the Bible and the story of Israel. But Jesus coming into the picture brings Israel's story to its resolution. It means that that story, the issue with, within that story is now resolved. Remember, man was in with God, relationship in a place of government under God and government of the world under God's authority, that we lost that. And, and then God decides to choose Abraham. He, 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 he prophesies over Abraham at the beginning that there will be a seed that will come to bring a resolution to all of what Israel's about to go through. That He said, you will have you know, descendants that are as numerous as the stars in the sky. You cannot count them. Abraham didn't have a son at the time. You know, he didn't even have one. And by the time Abraham died, he didn't even have that many. So he had to look into the future and see it. God was prophesying. He spoke about a seed coming. And that, that seed, obviously, we understand now, looking back, would be Jesus. The story, however, is not officially over. The church goes on to continue that story, which incorporates all of the Gentiles, that's you and me, and all of Israel who accept who Christ actually is, who the Messiah is. So the story continues, but it now continues through the church, and it will continue until Jesus returns for the second time to consummate the ages, to, to close up this age, this, this which they call in the Scriptures the present evil age, and to bring about the, the, the age of the kingdom, which is eternal, which means that, that Satan no longer exists in our lives. 
which will continue for all of eternity. But he is then sent to his place of punishment, which he knows he's going to, by the way, which is a whole other story altogether. The story of Jesus is about the kingdom vision. And this kingdom vision emerges out of the overall story of the Bible. Remember the creation? Remember Adam and Eve? Remember what they were called to do? They were called to govern. We keep bringing, I keep bringing that up all the time because it's been missed out so many times. Adam and Eve were called and all of their seed that were to come from Adam and Eve because they were, they were to go forward to multiply. How do you multiply? Well, you obviously, you know, in, through marriage, you enter into the act of making love and your seed is then passed on and you create other human beings. And they were to continue to govern and, 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 and multiply over the face of this planet. Now, let's remember this. In the end of time, of this time, we need to understand that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. We're not all going into this little funny place in the sky. That's not heaven. <laughs> it's a whole different situation, which we're not going to get into that. But remember this, a new heaven and a new earth. Where we will be able to enter, live and govern on this earth as we we're supposed to and enter fully into heaven at any moment that we so wish to, which is where God's throne room is. It's a whole other series if you want me to talk about it another time. But you need to give me time to get through a few other things that are more important at the moment. Okay? Just remember this. You will be able to access the new heaven and the new earth when you enter into that side of eternity. Okay? At the center of the story of Jesus is his birth, is his life, is his teachings, is his miracles. All his actions, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and his exaltation. We need to understand that because we, into, we, we tend to, to stop the story on that Jesus died for your sins. That's the crux of it. And then we go, and he was raised back to life. And that's pretty much where the story ends. But the sin, him dying for your sin has become the primary focus of all of evangelical Christianity. And it's strange because the word gospel, the word evangelize is where we, is, we get it from the word gospel. But we've reduced the gospel, as I mentioned last week, into a salvation culture. Focusing primarily around an event, one event in the life of this man called Jesus. And that's where we tend to camp. And I think that, that the camping around that event has, has, in a sense, caused us to somewhat be powerless. It has. Because it tends to focus back onto the person back onto your individual state. How are you doing? Now, Jesus died for your sins, man. So how are you doing? Why are you still doing that? What's your problem? Got to get it sorted out. Most, of, most pastoral care takes place around the fact that, man, Jesus died for your sins and, and then focusing around the individual person's inability to sin manage rather than empowering them to live a life in the spirit as an image bearer of Christ. There's there's a world and a lifestyle way beyond the event of the cross. The, the cross, as we've heard so many people say, is the entrance. It's the entryway. And we'll hear about that now when I get on to plan of salvation. Okay, essential to the story of Jesus are labels. Sorry. So essential to the story of Jesus, bringing to a resolve the story of Israel, are phrases like this, or labels that define his identity like this. Messiah, Lord, Son of God, Savior, and Son of Man. Those phrases being used, those, 
labels given to him that define and identify him bring to resolution the story of Israel because they were waiting for this son of man. They've been, they were waiting for a Messiah. The only reason why they missed it, and I can guarantee you now that if most of us were there in those days, we wouldn't be as disgusted with the Pharisees and most of the Israelites for, for determining that Jesus was probably a, a blaspheming heretic because they were waiting for a, a, a knight in shining armor. They were waiting for a, a David-style king who was, who was militant in the way he conducted himself, who was going to swoop in and, 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 and raise up a mighty army and, and then just destroy all of the Roman soldiers at the time, give the kingdom back to Israel, and then live on for all eternity. They believed in the resurrection, and they believed in the eternal life that Jesus or the Messiah, they didn't know it was Jesus. Remember this, they weren't waiting for Jesus. They were waiting for a Christ. Christ is the Greek word. Messiah is the Hebrew word. It is the same word. So you can say Jesus the Messiah or Jesus Christ. He wasn't the son of Joseph and Mary Christ. He was the son of, of, of Joseph the carpenter. They didn't have surnames like we do today. Their surnames identified them. So it was Joseph the carpenter. Aren't you Jesus, the son of Joseph, the carpenter's son? Aren't you the carpenter's son? That's how they identified them. But Christ means Messiah. So Israel were waiting for a Messiah. They were waiting for the Christ. But, but their, their, visual, their, their vision of him wasn't that he would become, he was coming from a home of a peasant-style carpenter who would walk in and, 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 and say things like, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. They were waiting for a man that could wield a sword with both hands. Has anyone seen the movie Troy? Remember it says in the scriptures that they could wield a sword with both the left and the right hand. And when you watch old Brad Pitt with his long flowing hair back in his younger days and his you know, six pack that you could bounce a, uh, a golf ball off, he, he, he runs out there with two swords, does some amazing trick and, and ends up killing the guy with one swoop. That was actual, pretty much close to what these men who could wield a sword with two hands could do. They were skillful fighters. These guys went into battle with hundreds of thousands of people and killed hundreds of thousands of men. So they were waiting for this kind of Messiah, but he didn't. He came as a peasant carpenter, and, and it was offensive to them because he didn't fit into the mold of what they expected. And so that just continues today. You look at a lot of Western Christianity, and, and God tends to choose preachers and teachers who bring forward messages that don't conform to what we dictate it should be. And so people become, they balk at it. They get offended by it. How can you say that, you know, the gospel isn't that Jesus died for our sins? It is. No, it's not. I'm just saying it. That's offensive to normal Christianity. <laughs> because when you start to touch what we hold as golden calves, it starts to get people a little bit irked. People don't like that. However, if you look at the scriptures and you read through them over and over again, it, be it begins to become very, very clear that there is something that's been missing. And that's what we're trying to touch on today. Now, let me just say this. I'm not, gonna tell, I'm not, gonna, I'm not taking away from the fact that the, the salvation message, the the message of the cross is not important. It, it is a pivotal point in history and in our lives. However, it is not the gospel, but it fits into the gospel perfectly. The gospel is, is more than that, which we're going to determine through this series. So Jesus as Messiah and Lord resolves what Israel were yearning for. This Jesus is the one who rescues humans from their imprisonment, and he reestablishes the kingdom or the throne of David. So I'm coming from more of a, of a, I'm coming from more of a, 
a Jewish view, an Israel view, Hebrew view. However, we can't understand Jesus if we don't understand that God selected a people. And then he called them. Remember, he didn't say, Abraham was not an Israelite. He was a Midianite. He was a, he was a star worshiper. He was an astrologer. He was a pagan. In actual fact, in those days, there, there weren't any Israelites at all. It was through Abraham and his, his seed that Israel was actually established. Israel means, it's, in, in basic terms, those who are called out, similar to what the church is called. It's those who God set aside. They were the, the people of God. But it came through Abraham. And, and, and Israel were meant to do what Adam and Eve were meant to do, which was to govern the world and relate to the world in a redemptive manner. But they did not do that. They did not govern it in a redemptive manner. They, they, they chose kings and they selected kings. And those kings, when, when there was a good king, they, they operated in God's ways. When they didn't, they, when there wasn't a good king, they didn't. And so they failed at what was Adam and Eve, the same thing that Adam and Eve failed at, they failed at. And so God decided to send Jesus, his son. Well, he... Let me put it this way. God sent the Son of Man, and when he came to earth, they called him Jesus. But remember Joseph, not Joseph, sorry. Remember Joshua. Joshua is the same name as Jesus. Jesus is Greek. Joshua is Hebrew. So you can start seeing pictures in the Old Testament where, God, where the stories start to interlock with each other. And the story of going through the river, um, going through the Jordan River um, into the Promised Land is such a picture of, of Jesus coming. The, 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 the Ark of the Covenant stepped in. It's, part of the, it's, it's God bringing together the plan of salvation back then. Now, when he took them through the river of death, because Jordan means descender or death, funny enough, so don't name your kids Jordan. I know it's a nice sounding name, but, but it, means, it means descender, which in, the, in, in Hebrew understanding is death. And he goes through the river of death. He goes through the Jordan River. And if you read it, the waters stopped flowing, but they stopped flowing and it says they're piled up in a heap, meaning that, you know, the, the water stopped flowing down to the Dead Sea, and it piled up on a heap in, outside a town called Adam. And then they walked through on, on, on dry ground into the Promised Land. That, that's quite a substantial picture, because, because when, when Joshua, because Joshua is Yeshua, and Jesus is Yeshua, one is just Hebrew and one is Greek, when, when, when Yeshua stepped into the river, the river of Jordan, which is where Jesus was baptized, and he came up out of the river Jordan, guess what happened? He took the people through into the promised land. He stopped the waters of death, right up from where it started with Adam. That's a, an incredible picture. That's a little, that's a freebie right there. It's got nothing to do with this, but I thought it, I thought it might make you feel quite excited about the fact that, you know. So God didn't send Jesus. He, he did, but he didn't. He sent his son. He sent God the son who took on the form of man and he called him. His name was Jesus. Because Jesus even refers, he goes, I have honored the name that you have given me. Isn't that interesting? The name that you have given me, Yeshua, which is the word Savior. So he rescues, he reestablishes the throne of David. The issue with a salvation culture is, is that it focuses too much on the, individ, on the individual problem rather than on a global problem. You see what I mean? Salvation culture, how are you doing? Are you in or are you out, Tyson? You know what I mean? And you'll go, ah, you know, I committed my life to Jesus. When they gave, you know, that altar call, I put up my hand and I repeated what that pastor said. And, and then I'm, I'm, so I've made a decision. I'm in. Oh, fantastic. 
But it's beyond that. The gospel story takes us into something so much more. There's a world problem. And, I, and, and, and as you'll learn, you know, when we evangelize, when we, the true correction is gospeling. That's what it actually is to say. We're gospeling. So if I'm not gossiping, but gospeling. So if Ben's going to get married, so, which he is already, but say when, before ben, got, when ben made an announcement, I'm going to marry this woman, Jess. And so what would happen is people would go out and they would, they would gospel. They would go and make announcements of good news of Ben's marriage to Jess. So Jesus just simply uses, and the Bible simply uses terminology of the day. When we gospel, what are we gospeling? Sin management? You making a decision, you know, so that you can, you can enter into this eternal security? What, what, is our, are we, what are we gospeling? What are, what are we evangelizing towards? If the word gospel and evangelize are the same word, which is, we get evangelized through the word gospel. So now you're starting to see what is the message that we are taking out evangelizing to the world? Sin management? The cross? Yes, that's part of it. Or is it so much more? The story of Jesus, as I've said, is, 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 a, is a resolution not only to, to Israel's story, but, it's a, but the story of Jesus is a resolution to, to a global problem, an eternal issue, as well as obviously Israel. And because of that, because of that, it saves, or he saves, should I say rather. The message doesn't save you. The person saves you. So, we've already started touching on the plan of salvation, so we'll go straight into it. This plan of salvation is not understood if we don't understand the story of Jesus. The plan of salvation is not understood if we don't understand the story of the Bible. That's why we struggle when we start our message of, of evangelism like this. Listen here, Brother Ben. Man, you're a sinner and you're in need of Jesus. And Ben's response to me is going to be simply, I'm not a sinner, I'm a good man. Do you know how many times, let me tell you this, I've presented that gospel to people and they, their response is, but man, I'm a good man. Who are you to tell me that I'm a bad person? I look after my wife. I, I have a good job. My kids love me. I'm, and, and, and to be honest with you, I've stood there thinking to myself, wow, this person who's actually a friend of mine, because I I, I, my first point of call for evangelizing was my friends. So, so, so here I am with, a, with, a, with an issue. Number one, I'm telling my friend he's a bad person. When I myself know that he's actually not. <laughs> he's not. He's not a bad person. So then I have to use the tools of evangelism that were given to me. Well, you know, let me just use a friend. Joe, Joe, my buddy. Man, have you loved the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, through all the days of your life? No, but it doesn't make me a bad person. Problem number two, yes, he's right. He's not a bad person because I know his life. And I can't find an issue with him. However, that's my first. Okay, so let's go to the second one. Man, have you ever told a lie? I know you have, because I've been with you when you did one. <laughs> have you ever lusted after a woman? Have you ever coveted? You have because you liked Paul's car. That's, and you said, oh, you wouldn't mind having one. That's, that's coveting. So now I'm trying to get this guy through these, the, the, this, this law that he has no reference for because he's, is, he's not Jewish. He's not Israeli. He's got no reference for a law. But I'm trying to use a law to show him that he's a filthy sinner so that he can accept the message that I'm going to present to him, which is, I've got good news for you, man. Jesus died for your sins. Couldn't care less, man. Don't even know who the bloke is. 
Now, if you go into the world today, because we're not living back in those days, you know, um, in the 80s where you had the, the 10 preachers. Most of the people nowadays that you will come across don't know Jesus. And the society that's being born into this world don't know Jesus. They don't understand the story. They don't understand what, what you're talking about. So you start mentioning Jesus. And Matt, all we are now, all the churches is, is just a, a, a fanatic religious organization that is completely outdated. Wake up and see that that's what it is. So we, start, we have to start using tools of evangelism that are completely different to what we've been taught of trying to tell everyone they're sinners and they need to come to the cross. We can almost go back to, which is it's, it's quite an exciting thing for me, is, is back into the days of where the apostles were originally proclaiming this because there was no reference when they went into the Gentile world of this failure of humankind. And they were also up against a community, the Gentile community, where they also had multiple gods. These were different. They had names, and they probably had a little, you know, a little shrine or something. We do have shrines, but they're not put on, on, they're not in temples. They're on your wall. They're in your pocket. They're in your bank account. You get it and you drive it. You go there from Monday to Friday. It's a location that you, of a piece of land that you own where you spend all your time fixing it up and cleaning gutters and mowing your lawns. Those are, those are our idols. They're these little things that run around that s- s- somehow grow to be the same size as you who have attitudes and dictate where your money, your time, and your affection goes. This is, these are our idols in Western society if you haven't figured it out as of yet. But our, but our gospel presentation is somewhat the same as what they had when we go to India, where they have still got shrines. It is common that when we refer to the gospel, we are referring to the plan of salvation, by which we mean how an individual gets saved. So from, like I mentioned last week, if my little thing works, if I was to ask you, where would you place the gospel into these four categories? Most of us would place it here. The plan of salvation what I'm about to speak about today. You would place the gospel into that category there. Sometimes we are so singularly focused on the personal plan of salvation and how we get somebody saved or how we get saved that we actually eliminate the whole story of the Bible. We eliminate the story of Jesus and we reduce it to the one event of the cross. That's the the key element of the story of Jesus that we bring in is the event of the cross, which was one day. It was one day in his life. So here's a question that you don't have to answer, but I'm going I'm, I'm to answer it for you. Do we, in our understanding of the gospel, even need the Old Testament scriptures? Based on my experience in Western Christianity, the answer to that is sadly no, we don't. We don't need the Old Testament in our presentation of our current Western gospel. This is what happens when we equate gospel with the common doctrines of the plan of salvation. And the only, like I said already, and I mentioned so many times, the only part of the Old Testament that we really refer to is generally Genesis chapter 3, where man fell. So when, when we do this, the story of the Bible actually begins to disappear, and so too does the gospel itself. 
and we focus only on an event. And then we move quickly into the motivation of an individual to make a decision to be in rather than remain out. I have to stick to my notes for my sake, not for you, because if I deviate from this, we're going to go, there's another, we're on another series. <laughs> okay, so I'm really, I'm really disciplining myself, which Ben, ben saw last week, he's like, he's quite amazed because he's never seen me actually preach from notes like this in his entire life. Um, and that's not my normal way of preaching. But, so I'm not disengaged from you. I, I have to stay to these notes. Otherwise, like I said, we're preaching about something else today. And I want to get through a series because I think it's so important. So what then is this plan of salvation? What is the plan of salvation? And, and let, me, let me just say this to, to bring comfort to you. The plan of salvation does also include your personal salvation. It does. It has to. It has to include that. Okay. So, what is this plan of salvation that's normally presented? By this, I mean, what are the elements and the ideas around this message that we normally hear? This, this, this plan of getting an individual from being out to being in. So, I'll read you. These are, these are your most common elements of the plan of salvation as we know it in our, in our current evangelical circles, right? Number one, God's love and grace. Right? None of, there's nothing wrong with any of what I'm about to read. I'm not, we're not disputing this because it's 100% true. God is love and he is gracious. Like that's, there's, no, there's no denying that. Okay, number two, our creation as image bearers, but our choice to sin and disobedience and original sin are both involved in, in, this, in this story. Number three, our condition of being under God's judgment. Number four, the good news of the atoning death of Jesus Christ that forgives us our sin and reconciles us to God. I want you to, I just, let me just stop there. I want you to, if you haven't already picked it up, if you haven't already picked it up, every time you hear me say the word sin, I don't use it in a plural sense. I always use it in a singular sense. Most of the time when you hear a, a message presented, they will always go, he paid for your sins. But he didn't pay for your sins, he paid for your sin. Your behavior is because of your, your nature of sin. Your, your acts of the flesh are because you, you are in the nature of sin if you're unsaved, if, you, if you're unredeemed. We often, we often go, well, the guy's an alcoholic, so that's, we class alcohol, he's an alcoholic as is, is sin. And then, but he's also not only an alcoholic, he's also addicted to pornography. That's another sin. So he's, he's got sins. No, he's got sin. <laughs> he's, got a, he's got a dodgy nature which came through the fall of man, and, and, and that nature is causing all of these actions to come out of him. So, so now when you're born again, that nature of sin is taken out of you and you're now given a redeemed nature. But you continue to act in the flesh because you're not walking in the renewed mind. You're not walking in the spirit. You're still walking with an unredeemed mind. So, so your nature is, is, is the nature of Christ, but your mind is not. Because your mind needs to keep being renewed. You need to keep living in, as an image bearer. That's the, that's the biggest problem we have with Christians is not to stop them from sinning, but it's to get them to live in the new nature. The good news of the atoning death of Jesus, who was the Messiah, and how he forgives us our sin, and he reconciles us back into a relationship with God. The, and then number five is this, the need for every human being to respond simply by admitting one's sinfulness, repenting from sin, which let me just say what we understand it to be, asking for forgiveness, that's how we've interpreted it. Repenting and asking for forgiveness are two completely separate things, friends. To ask for forgiveness is I do something to Ben. I go and I say, Ben, I'm sorry. Can you please forgive me for doing that? And he goes, no worries, mate. 
you know, wipe it under the, under the carpet, all is good. Repenting, so then, then I'll go and do it again. Hey, Ben, I'm sorry, mate. No worries, Brad. I'll do it again. Now Ben's got to start to determine, this guy's got an issue. This guy's got an issue with stealing my car and going hooning around the Gold Coast. That's the issue. Now, he's apologized on numerous occasions. Now, that's how we, that's how we respond to God. Ah, oh, I failed at that. I'm sorry, God. Ah, oh, I did it again. I'm sorry, God. Ah, oh, do you know why? You haven't repented. Repenting needs to change your mind. Listen, yeah, you're not an alcoholic, drug-addicted, pornographic-addicted, angry hoon who's going to steal people's car. You're not that person. You are now a new person. That's what repentance is, to change the mind. Metanoia. It's got nothing to do with behavior. It's got everything to do with how you think. Metanoia, the mind. That's where the, we get that word from. Turn. So when they ask, when they ask, what must we do? Because now Peter presents a gospel, which we'll read about next week. Their question to him when they hear this, they are cut to the heart. That's conviction. These unsaved people are convicted to the heart of something that's happened. And they ask this question, what must we do to be saved? And he says, doesn't, he doesn't say, ask God for forgiveness. He says, now repent. Every one of you. Repent. Turn away. Change your mind because you've now realized that the one you killed who you said was a blasphemer, you've now just realized that he is actually the Messiah. Now you must change your mind to go away from the blaspheming carpenter's son to the Messiah king. That's your change. That's your repent. This is helpful by, by any means. Okay. To be getting somewhere. People, I can feel people from last week, the statement of the gospel is not that he died for your sins is starting to change as I think these little cogs are starting to click into place and you're going, oh, I actually see where we are going here. There is a, there, this guy's not a madman. Okay. So let me just say this again. This is a very controversial statement. What I've just read you in those five points, this is the plan of salvation, but it's not the gospel. This plan of salvation emerges and can only emerge from the story of Jesus, and that can only emerge from the story of the overall Bible. If you do not understand that we were made in the image of God in the beginning, and everything went awry, okay, and what our purpose was over there, the story that I've just spoken to you now does not make sense, and that is why we, we tend to fail in our, excuse me, our presentation of the gospel. Let's grab a bit of water there. I'm holding myself back from the method of persuasion today. I, I, I want to just so badly get into it because we, we're tickling on it. And the moment I start mentioning it and reading those scriptures, it'll start to fall into place in such an amazing way. But I like to, I, I, I somehow want to leave you in a suspense within your mind with a, with a, with a, with a, with a small amount of, 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 of offense, with a small amount of um, revelation, with a small amount of hunger. And, 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 and if, you, if you want to, you can actually start going and reading through the book of Acts this week. And I guarantee you, by the time you get to you know, Acts chapter 4, you probably would have seen the gospel presented quite clearly there. But we'll go through it next week anyway. So this plan of his salvation actually emerges from the Bible story. And it can only be understood in the context of the Bible story. Now, I'm not denying salvation. I can't, I can't I'm a born-again Christian. I was actually thinking about this this week, just so you know. It's quite strange. With, with what I've gone through in my life, you know, I've, 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 I've lost 
family members, tragically. You know, my grandfather died, my uncle shot himself, his wife died of cancer. These are close aunt uncle. My own wife died of cancer. Um, my cousin um, got killed in a motorbike accident at, at the age of 21. My other uncle just recently died because he, um, he had like chronic gout to the point that he could only live on morphine and the morphine that he lived on daily actually shut his body down. Um, we've seen these kind of tragedies time and time again. My own family, for example, my, my, my relationship with my mother and father is strained because I'm a Christian because they don't understand why I do what I do and it frustrates them. They don't persecute me like outright. They haven't kicked me out of the family but we don't relate very well. I, don't, I, don't, I, haven't, I live in the same city as them and I have not seen them for six months it, but, and that started from when I got saved. It just became weird because that, then I was never brought up in that environment. So, 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 so I look around. I've got, I've got a friend whose daughter is three years old with leukemia. They're born-again Christians who have given their lives towards Jesus. She's right now in hospital, and the doctors say that you know, she, this is probably her last weekend with them. So I'm looking at that, and I'm going, hey, it's very easy for me not to believe in God. It's easy. From what I see around me, it's easy for me to turn and say, this thing about God is absolutely ridiculous. And, and can I honestly say so? I've, I've almost been at that, I have not almost been. I've been at the point where I've actually said to God, I don't think you're real. I actually don't think you're real. But every single time I get to that point, I have, it, the saving grace of God in that is this. I've seen so much of God move in the most miraculous ways that regardless of, of everything I see before me now, it's impossible for me to actually go, you don't exist. I've actually just experienced too much of him. I know it's strange, but I've experienced so much. It's undeniable. It's undeniable that he exists. Because every time I go, well, if this didn't happen and that didn't happen and that didn't happen, you, you can't exist. But then I've gone, but, but this happened and that happened and that happened. And the, and the most spectacular things. I've, ha I've had to go, just shut up, Brad. You, just ha you have no idea what you're talking about. You've experienced far too much to go back. So I'm in this, I get stuck in this quandary. I can't go back because I know that that's just ridiculous. And, and, and I don't want to go forward because at times I don't trust him. But, but I have to believe in him. And so that's pretty much where you, you stand. You go, well, I can't go back because I, I, I know that's not true. But and I don't want to go forward because how do I trust you sometimes? I don't know why that came in my notes. It was something there. There's something that sparked that thought for me. This, I believe in salvation. I believe in justification by faith. I'm belie I believe in the importance of personal salvation, 100%. I don't deny that in what I'm preaching. The plan of salvation, which we're speaking about today, is, is a crux turning point in the life of human history. It's actually a turning point in all of eternity. But it, uh, what I'm trying to get to is that it doesn't end there. As, as, as spectacular as that event was, as important as that event was, as gruesome as that event was, and as, as glorious as that event was, it does not end at that event. And we cannot camp there for the sake of the purpose of the true gospel. We cannot camp in that location. Because it disempowers the church and it does not fulfill the commission that God gave to mankind. Ten more minutes, is that all right? Last week I finished exactly at quarter past. I said I would. Ten more minutes. Now, I, I do do a series, which maybe I can do at some point in this church, on the finished work of the cross. It's also probably a three-week series. 
uh, I can probably reduce it into two weeks. But it goes through every single event that took place at the cross. It's called the finished work of the cross. And it will take you scripture by scripture through every single event that is completed, finished, sealed up, never to be concerned or worried about again that took place at the cross. And it's an empowering message that if you, as I read through it, I guarantee you that most of Western Christianity falters because we can't get our mind around that event and what was completed at that event. So we keep bringing people back into that place of hanging around and camping around the cross. So what I hope to show through this series is that the gospel cannot be reduced to the plan of salvation. The more we submerge the plan of salvation and the understanding of that plan of salvation into the larger idea of the gospel itself, it'll actually make the message of the plan of salvation more robust. It'll actually empower that message when you present it, when you bring it. Because let me tell you this, in my presentation of the gospel, I need to get to a point where I am speaking about the plan of salvation. I have to. But my initial presentation isn't the plan of salvation. My initial presentation is the gospel. And in there, I have to transition those who want to make a decision to become disciples. I have to present what that plan of salvation is in order to bring them into that life. I can't bring them into life unless they understand the plan of salvation. But they can't make a decision to become a disciple if they don't understand the gospel. So we'll make it more robust, hopefully. The plan of salvation leads to one thing. This plan of salvation, it leads to one thing and one thing only. Salvation. That's, that's what it, it's called the plan of salvation for that very reason. It will lead you to salvation. Justification, so listen carefully now. Justification leads to a declaration by God that we are in right, in the right, in right standing with him, that we are in the people of God, and that we are in his family. That's what, that's what justification does. So the plan of salvation leads to one thing. It leads to salvation. Justification is, is, is not your declaration. Justification is God's declaration over you, that you are now right before him, that you are now in him. You are now in his family. You are now part of the people of God. It does not lead, listen to this, it does not naturally lead... The plan of salvation and the declaration of God over you does not naturally lead to a life of justice or of goodness or of loving kindness. It doesn't. Look around you. Some of the worst people I've ever met are Christians. They are. I'm not going to lie to you. Some of the most horrific people that I do not even want to associate with are Christians. In actual fact, I get more joy and more laugh out of hanging out with unsafe friends who actually love me for who I am, who demand nothing from me, and have unconditional acceptance towards me, and have had so for many, many years. The friends I grew up with are still my friends. They don't care that I'm a Christian or not. They just love me for who I am. But Christians, oh my gosh, they are the throwers of stones. They, we just walk around with pockets full of stones. And if you step out of line, man, I'm going to fling one of those things right at your forehead, and I'm going to make sure you know that it's come from me because I'm a righteous man or woman, and you have just stepped out of line. There's something wrong. Let me say this. The reason why is because our gospel starts at the fall of man. And as long as you keep falling, but even if you're a born-again Christian, let me tell you, the stones are going to keep coming. But don't ever throw stones at me. Don't, because I'm righteous. That's just the way it is. It is... The, it is 
absolute hypocrisy. There are two religions in this world that are as hypocritical as other, Islam and Christianity. Man, even the, even the Hindus that I know from Sri Lanka and India, are just, they just want peace and love and they accept people for who they are. You know that you don't have to worship every single God. You can choose a selected God and worship that God. You can. And they won't persecute you. If you, if you worship Shiva, but I worship Naga, just worship Naga well and worship Shiva well and I won't judge you for who you decide to worship. But, but Christians and Muslims, man, we are just horrific at how we deal with each other. It's just It's shameful. So it doesn't lead to that. A life of, of, of love, a life of justice, and, and let me tell you, I struggle with loving people. I do. I struggle with loving Christians because of what's happened to me. That's something I've got to, I've got to deal with. Uh, I've been dealt with badly, but I've probably dealt with people badly. That's a little journey I'm going on. So that's why in, in heaven I want my own little corner. That's why I made that joke at the beginning. I made a joke. It was a joke, but it was actually serious. Some, some people, I just don't like them. They want to know them. Won't even give them the time of day. God needs to heal my heart in that. I'm not going to lie about it. There, there, there needs to be some serious healing. It's coming. I'm starting to get through that process. I didn't even want to preach to you people, you know, probably about nine months ago. I, I couldn't care less about preaching to anybody. I didn't want to stand up here and give you any information or, or revelation, whatever, because I really just couldn't care less. But through a healing process, God started going, listen, here, son, you need to start walking back in my ways. I want you to present who I am and my message to people so that they can actually come good and come right and actually start loving each other and dealing with each other and the world in a redemptive manner the way I wanted it to be. Amen? So here we go. I'm, I'm with you on a journey. Okay. So the only way that we can get people to be, I've got five minutes left, I'm, 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 and I'm actually on track. I'm, I'm quite excited about it. The only way we can actually get people to, to be um, people of justice, people of loving kindness, or people of goodness, is to take them from the salvation culture, from understanding just the events of the cross, and into a gospel culture which, which creates disciples. Because as you follow Jesus, this is what a disciple is, as we've heard so many times, but it never sinks in. It doesn't. Because you fail on a daily basis, because it's not sinking in. Is that a disciple is someone who follows after the teacher how he acts, how he behaves, his mannerisms, his, his attitude. So, so when we follow after Jesus, then his attitude is goodness. His attitude is kindness. His behavior patterns are merciful and gracious. So, so, so as we follow after him, we begin to become disciples and we begin to mimic image bearers of, of Jesus, of the Messiah. So again, salvation culture doesn't naturally lead to that life. That's why we need people to become disciples. And the gospel culture, properly understood, will actually lead us into those attributes. So if we preach the plan of salvation as the gospel, we will find ourselves doing everything we can to motivate people. That's the whole salvation culture message is to motivate people. But Jesus didn't motivate people through a motivational sermon. He, in actual fact, I don't ever think he set, stepped out to motivate people because some of the stuff he put there was unmotivational. Like, if you follow me, you're going to die. I'm going to send you out as, as sheep among wolves. <laughs> Fantastic. That's, what a great sermon. Yeah, what a great commission. Hey, you're going to go out there. There's wolves everywhere. I'm sending you out as sheep. <laughs> okay. Like, I would have thought maybe lions. You would have sent us out as a lion. You know, then we can take on wolves because they, 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 but no. So nothing's motivational. Hey, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. What do you mean? 
He doesn't explain himself. No, no, don't listen. I'm not talking about cannibalism here, people. Jesus does not explain himself. He leaves it and he walks on. Because the hunger of the person is to, if the person is hungry enough, they will follow after him. He then thins out 3,000 people. I mean, that's a massive, imagine that. You've got a church of 3,000 and then you're left with 12. That's it. He had 3,000 disciples, it says, left him that day. What a great church growth pattern. He then turns to the 12, and his message to them is, do you also want to go? He doesn't say, please stay with me because I've got a journey. He says, do you also want to leave? I'm giving you the opportunity now. Do you want to go? The revelation of Peter was, we, where are we going to go? We have nothing else. You, you have the words of life. That's where I am now. I, I, don't, I can't go back. I don't want to follow you fully this way, but hey, where else am I going to go? <laughs> you, when you speak, life comes to me. You know? That's why I said a few weeks ago, I'm relate with Peter. He was an absolute wally. He was, he's up and down. The guy's, I'll die for you, Jesus. I don't know the bloke. Like then the same day. You know what I mean? Like that's Peter. Get away from me. I don't want to repent. I don't want to have you. Come, do you love me? It's, it's just a wonderful story of us. You know what I mean? So if we preach the plan of salvation as the gospel, we find ourselves doing everything to motivate people. The kingdom vision of Jesus isn't simply or even directly about the plan of salvation. How's that? The kingdom message of Jesus isn't even directly about the plan of salvation. However, it 100% incorporates that plan into it. It has to. Now, we'll read through some scripture next week, and I, I had one here, but I don't have time for it. But no matter how central the cross is to the story and to the plan of salvation, we need to keep in mind that the gospel is more than the event of the cross, which was one event in the life of Jesus. Jesus didn't just die. The full implication is the fullness of Jesus coming, him living here, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and him being established as the Messiah. And very important, his return once, one day. That there, friends, has to be incorporated into when we into our presentation. That has to be incorporated into our revelation. It has to be. It's not just him dying. It's him coming, him living, him dying, him being raised, him then ascending into heaven, him then being established as the Messiah King. The gospel that Paul preached actually included the ascension of Jesus. It included the second coming of, of the Messiah, and it included the full consummation of the kingdom. Now, I have something I can read. If you've got five more minutes, I can read it, or do you want to just wrap it up? It's just a and then we can f finish with that. I've got to read page such and such. And it just, it'll just close us off. The, the, the burial of Jesus, this is, this is um, written by a guy by the name of Scott McKnight. The burial of Jesus sets up the resurrection. But one has to hear things such as Acts 2, 29, where Peter says, David was buried, and, and he reminds his listeners that David's tomb is right there in Jerusalem. In the burial of Christ, in the burial, sorry, Christ entered fully into our death. And in that burial, the church has taught that Christ visited, ransomed the prisoners in hell. See Peter 3, 11 to 22. The resurrection evokes a theology of justification and even more of God's eschatological, which means the end of time, okay? Eschatological eruption into space and time. It speaks of the new creation, and it speaks of the arrival sorry, of the final general resurrection. It speaks of the, sorry, the appearance of Jesus coming back to life, evokes a real 
bodily resurrection of Jesus himself. And a profound apologetic for that belief. Apologetic means an argument. It's a, it's a fancy Christian term for argument. Apologetics. Okay? So it speaks of the appearance of Jesus in real bodily form, and it actually gives you a profound, a deep argument for that belief. And it speaks of the exaltation. It speaks of the final of the second coming and the final consummation reveals a theology of Jesus as both the Lord, as the judge, and as God, and as having a plan for history that arrives at its destination after his long journey when all things are in their proper place as God rules. What this means is that the gospel is a whole life of Jesus' story, not just a reduction of the life to Good Friday, to a Good Friday message. In my judgment, Soterians, salvation preachers, have a Good Friday gospel only. And we seek to bring a full life of Jesus message. So next week, we'll speak on the method of persuasion. And that should, in a sense, give you, and, and then I will tell you what is the gospel. And it will come, it'll become more and more clear as I read as I read, and this is what I love about the method of persuasion teaching, is that I don't even have to teach much on it. I'll have a little small say. But as I read you text after text after text after text in your Bible, you yourselves will begin to see on those pages exactly what it is that the gospel is. I'm not going to have to convince you. The scriptures themselves will be enough proof and evidence. And often, as with me, when I read through those texts time and time again, I began to realize, why on earth did I not believe this to be the gospel? Why on earth was I stuck in a, in a plan of salvation, sorry, in a, a salvation culture message rather than a gospel message? But, and open my eyes. And it, it actually helps me in my, when, when I live out presenting the gospel to people um, in a day-to-day basis, because presenting the gospel in a salvation culture is evangelistic events. Presenting the gospel in a gospel culture is an actual everyday event. <laughs> it's a lifestyle event. So we don't need to set up crusades, although they are helpful. But we can do it. Single mums, grannies, grandpas, students, business people, you can live within a go- gospel culture every single day. Amen?